Welcome, foolish mortals, to Afternoonified. We are your hosts, your ghost hosts. Kindly step all the way into the podcast, please, and make room for everyone. There's no turning back now. Here in this gallery, where we see portraits of our residents, Emily, in their Emily, Emily, please states. Please drag your bodies away from the walls and into the dead center of the room. Why, Emily? Please, your cadaverous pallor betrays an aura of foreboding. When I told you to do the whole thing, I was joking. Almost as if you sense a disquieting metamorphosis. Is this haunted podcast actually stretching? Or is it your imagination? Hmm? And consider this dismaying observation. I this don't know how to stop This podcast has no windows and no pause button, which offers you this chilling challenge. To find a way out! This recording has no pause button. <laughs> anyway. I don't know. I've been waiting to do this episode for a long time, and then when it came to, to do it, it was um, a lot of work. We are extending our Halloween spooktacular. Yeah. Uh, slightly into November. I, I figured it would be a good idea to, to do this while it was still pretty fresh in my mind. Um, yeah, fair like, enough. From physically being there, because generally speaking, we don't go to the places that we talk about um, for, I'm going to say, research. In this case. It, I'm just trying to get a tax write-off for that whole trip. Um, yep. You can write that off as a business business expense. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It was, like I said, for research purposes. Mm-hmm. Crowded research purposes. People. It's a thing. Just they a exist. hot tip. Like, Halloween is busier at Disneyland than you expect. That doesn't surprise me, actually. Um, it was fun. Uh, people aside, um, next time I'd probably go in, like, February just to avoid. Actually, if we had gone a week later, it was the weather was going to be in, like, the low 70s and raining, so it probably wouldn't have been as crowded. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, you got to go, like, maybe, like, right when school starts. But then I guess maybe, like, that's when the parents with their younger kids go. I don't know. Yeah, I don't... I I don't know the ins and outs of Disneyland traffic. Yeah. I mean, generally, this time of year would be a little quieter, but, like, everyone was rescheduling their trips. Right. Um, So, I don't know. We'll give it a year or two. Let it calm down. Won't be spending my honeymoon in Disneyland, I guess. Gonna have to go to Hawaii like some basic asshole. (laughs) stay at the disney resort there uh anyway so uh yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about the haunted mansion oh were we gonna introduce ourselves Uh, oh right right because we didn't in the cold open um no that was all you either of the times that i did yeah um yes we are your hosts your ghost hosts i'm emily i'm sarah yeah i figured thematically that cold open would work i like it i like it because it's a good cold open and also because i didn't have to do anything (laughs) And now we're going to do it in Espanol. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm going to cite my sources, of which there are a lot. Um, so Wikipedia, obviously, um, InsideTheMagic.net, uh, D23.com, uh, Walt Disney World Magazine, DoomBuggies.com. Huge shout out to DoomBuggies.com. Holy shit. And then the HauntedMansion.Fandom.com, which is the Haunted Mansion wiki. Of course there's a Haunted Mansion wiki. This does not surprise me. <laughs> also, uh, Behind the Attraction, which is on Disney+. Plus, Song and Story of the Haunted Mansion, which is a, I guess, like, promotional recording that they put out. Um, My Own Brain. <laughs> and uh, Eddie Murphy. <clears throat> I actually don't talk about the movies at all in this episode. Not even the Muppets one? Oh, the Muppets one fucking slaps. Um, I've watched it twice. <laughs> I. This is why I'm saying, like, I'm surprised I've not heard a single peep from you about the Muppets Haunted Mansion. I figured it no one cared. It seems very much your jam. <laughs> no, I watched it the day it came out, and then I watched it, like, this past weekend. It's really good. My only critique is... <laughs> shut up. Um, is that they used Pepe the King Prawn uh Instead of Rizzo the Rat, but Rizzo was retired a couple years ago because the only puppeteer that's ever played him did something 
bad that I I don't remember what it was, but he like got fired and they were just like, we're not going to do Rizzo anymore. Oh, that's dark. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyway, but uh, Pepe's fine. I just prefer Rizzo. Um, you know, Christmas Carol memories and stuff. There. So our story begins around 1951 when the idea for a haunted house style attraction first occurred to your friend and mine. Walter Elias Disney. Now, you did say I could ask any questions I wanted. Yeah. Is it true? No. (laughs) That Walt Disney's frozen head is somewhere on the grounds of Disneyland. No. He died of, I believe, lung cancer. He was buried like normal people were in the 60s. (laughs) And his head was cryogenically frozen so they could bring him back as a robot. I want to know who started that and who started the... Um, rumor that he was anti-Semitic so I can kick them in the nuts because neither of those things are true. I mean, I just assume everyone in the 1950s was kind of anti-Semitic. Yeah, I guess what I should clarify is that he was as racist and anti-Semitic as (laughs) As anybody else in 1950s. Yeah, as like anybody else who's a good person was in 1950, you know? Fair enough. I'm not saying that excuses anything. Um, Like... (laughs) A uh, song of the South shouldn't have existed, but uh, <laughs> but it's it's a relative to the time period um, thing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cancel Walt Disney for being a white dude in the fifties. Anyways, well, this episode is off to a great start. <laughs> Glad I opened up that can of worms. So, 1951, uh, before Disneyland even existed. It was still just a concept that uh, Disney was trying to get off the ground because, like, he had to not beg for money, but it wasn't easy to finance this project because amusement parks existed, obviously, but not like that. I feel like they weren't, obviously, not in the same way they exist today, where it's, like, acres and acres of yeah, just insane rides. It's like, uh, they made roller coasters out of wood. Yeah, like, you had boardwalks, like, Coney Island was a thing. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, a a theme park to this scale didn't really exist in the United States. There's actually a theme park in, oh, fucking Norway or somewhere up there um, that inspired Walt. But it it came... Iceland. (laughs) No, wait. Um, It came to existence because Walt wanted a place where parents could have just as much fun as as the kids because these places Mm -hmm. were geared towards children. And were very boring, which bringing a, a haunted house attraction into it would kind of make it, you know, a little more for, for older people. Yeah. Which haunted house attractions did exist. There were, you know, the ghost trains of like carnivals and stuff. Like you've mm-hmm. probably been on one. They haven't changed a lot since they started popping up. Yeah. So he wanted he wanted a haunted house attraction uh, since before Disneyland was even built. Um so yeah, haunted house attractions already existed. With the first one opening in England in 1915. Uh, before that, were wax museums that often had displays of like famous murder scenes, monsters, other horrors. Yeah, yeah, that tracks. I went to when I was in London. I went to Madame Tussauds. Yeah, that's one and, of the big ones. Which yeah, just complete tourist trap, but very entertaining. But like, it's so weird because it like brings you through like all the celebrities, and it's like. Daniel Craig and Britney Spears, and then you, like, turn a corner and all of a sudden you're in a torture dungeon. Yeah, so uh, people were doing this forever. Like, people like being scared. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah, so when the task of coming up with ideas was given to uh, Imagineer, and for everybody who doesn't know, um, an Imagineer is one of the people who designs and creates things for Disney parks. It's an engineer, but better. Did they still have the title, like, before the park was a thing i believe imagineer came a little later but it definitely came into play um for all intents and purposes it was that someone in that role yeah and yeah imagineers aren't just engineers like it's people who do like art concept drawings and make costumes and think of themes and songs like it's everybody who works on these things they are among some of my heroes, <laughs> um, which it will become very obvious as we get into this. Um, so the task of coming up with ideas for this haunted attraction was given to a man named uh, Harper Goff. Great name. Right? And since the concept wasn't new, Disney wanted to do it different and better, as he did with most things. Yep. But seemed to be his jam. Yeah, he was good at it, too. In 1952, Goff created the first illustration of the proposed haunted house um, for 
Disney's proposed theme park, and it was a structure that almost certainly, maybe by coincidence, resembled Sour Castle in Kansas City, which is a, quote, real haunted mansion from the town where Walt Disney grew up. So he might have been playing on that a little bit. Um, So as the plans for Disneyland grew and developed, so did the idea for this haunted house. Uh, Visual concepts were put together by several different artists, and in September of 1953, Walt called in a Disney animation art director named Herb Ryman to draw a map of the park that could be shown to investors. And this map included the hub-and-spoke format of the park um, and a very curious detail sitting at the end of Main Street. And again, for people who aren't super familiar with it, the hub-and-spoke thing is you have a main round plaza, and then branching off of it are all of the different lands. So if you go straight, you go to Fantasyland, you go left, there's Frontierland and Adventureland, like... There's a central unit, which makes it easy to navigate. Right. And then, like, every street is, like, a different thing. Yeah. Straight and yeah, you kind terms. of Yeah, you kind of go off and, and they wind around a little bit. But for the most part, it's, yeah, a lane that leads to where you need to go. Cool. So there was something sitting at the end of Main Street. And a close look at Ryman's map shows that on the end of the street, set back from the corner under some heavy foliage. Foliage? Foliage. Wow. Uh, foliage sets an old house, which is clearly residential, unlike all of the other buildings on Main Street, which was modeled after a turn-of-the-century small town. So you got, like, your candy store and your theater and that kind of thing. And it seems to be based on Hennessy's Main Street illustration of the old house on the corner, which itself was roughly based on Harper Goff's original sketch. So it's the sketch on this map was based on a sketch by another Imagineer who was based off of what Harper Goff did. Gotcha. This project has changed hands so many times over the course of its history. So if you've ever been to one of the parks, you know that the mansion doesn't live on Main Street. Not even close. Um, And that's because we're about to launch into the story of the attraction that almost never got made, and then was, and then it wasn't again, and then it finally opened. Is that the story of the Haunted Mansion, or... Is this a misdirect and we're going to learn about something else? The Haunted Mansion was a pain in the ass that took nearly 20 years to reach its full realization. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So time passed. Nothing happened with this. And Disneyland opened in 1955. And Disney obviously still Without the Haunted Mansion. Without the Haunted Mansion. Okay. Without New Orleans Square, um, without a a lot of things. Disneyland was a lot smaller than it is today. Really? Yeah, they didn't have Galaxy's Edge when it opened. Weird. Did they have the Avatar Land? That's in Disney World, Sarah. I don't know or care. That's actually in uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom. That's not even... I also still don't get the connection of, like, it, Avatar isn't a Disney property, correct? No, they they purchased it because they thought that they could do something with it, which, to be fair, they did. Um, it's also yeah. owned by Fox, which Disney owns now. Oh, right, yeah. To be fair, I think Avatar works much better as an attraction than it does a movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's like um, Universal doesn't own Harry Potter. Warner Brothers does. But Warner mm-hmm. Brothers lets Universal borrow it because they had a theme park to put the, the thing in. Right. That's fair. So Ken Anderson was assigned to create a story using Goff's original idea. And plans were made to build a New Orleans-themed land in a small transition area between Frontierland and Adventureland, which actually it's... Not in between those two. It's to the side of Adventureland between Adventureland and Critter Country. But I digress. I feel like I need to I need to look at a map. Yeah, you could probably pull up a map of Disneyland. It might help. Uh, weeks later, New Orleans Square appeared on the su- on a souvenir map that was being passed out and promised a thieves market, a pirate wax museum, and a haunted house walkthrough. Hell None yeah. of these things are in the park. <laughs> Anderson's first plan for a ghost house told the story of a fictional Captain Gore, um, rechristened Gideon Gorlou in some scripts to make Gore a nickname instead of some ham-fisted horror thing, sort of. Um, Anyway, he was a bloodthirsty pirate hiding in New Orleans. In the earliest incarnations, Anderson explored many ideas, a lot of them pirate-themed, including a tale about this sea captain who had been posing as a nobleman until he murdered his wife in a fit of rage when she discovered that he was actually a pirate. And then in despair, he um, hung himself in his old house. That's grim. Yes, the storyline was brutal and included scenes of a captain being tormented by ghosts, a living graveyard, and the body of his wife stuffed in a trunk. Yikes! (laughs) The perfect ride for children. Walt did not like Well, he entertained these ideas. They ended up not using them. So returning to the drawing board, uh, Ken Anderson went back to the idea of the ghost house as an old decrepit house on the outskirts of town. 
um, renaming the occupants as the Blood family, living in the Bloodmere estate. Uh, he kept the idea a of on the nose. Yeah, well, uh, he kept the idea of a ghostly bride, but started to change the storyline to focus on her wedding party. Uh, the tragedy of the house occurred when the Blood family was hosting friends on the eve of the wedding of their daughter. An event too horrible to mention prevented the wedding, and it was rumored that on every anniversary for the last 150 years, the ghosts would attempt to complete the ceremony, which would lift the curse on the house. Sounds cool. Remember yeah. that for later. Noted. Much later, actually. So Anderson studied New Orleans and old plantations and came up with a drawing of a manor that was overgrown with weeds, dead trees, swarms of bats, boarded up doors and windows topped by uh, screeching cats as weather vanes. Very cool. Disney was not a fan of that. He wanted a well-kept mansion outside and a haunted inside, and famously saying, we'll take care of the outside and we'll let the ghosts take care of the inside. <laughs> so after several other ideas were floated, Imagineer Mark Davis, who had worked on um, Snow White, Pinocchio, he was uh, one of a group called the, uh, the Old Men, who were a group that had been with Disney since the beginning. So... You have them to thank for a lot of those early movies. So Mark Davis was brought in to consult, and Anderson and Disney realized that they had different ideas of what a haunted house should be. <laughs> I'm glad they're just figuring this out now. And Mark Davis was known for being funny, so that, that should tell you where Walt wanted to go with this. So it's like Walt wanted to be darker than... No, actually... It was oh, okay. Anderson's idea. Oh, because he brought him in. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was Anderson's idea that haunted houses need to be shit your pants scary while Walt wanted something more entertaining, more spooky than scary. Right. The atmosphere without necessarily the horror aspect. I mean, you can imply it, but yeah, it has to be kind of light, kind of fun. And that's what he was yeah. uh, looking that for. That also feels appropriate <laughs> considering the setting. And then enter to absolute fucking legends. Oh, God. So the plan was still very much alive in 1959 when Imagineers Yale Gracie and Rolly Crump were put on Haunted Mansion duty. I'm sorry. Say those names one more time. Yale Gracie and Roland Rolly Crump. I love that. Exactly. And they started working through Ken Anderson's ideas and storylines and developed their own ideas and illusions because Yale Gracie did magic. Of course he did. And Rolly Crump just liked really weird shit. <laughs> um, so Walt chose the Gracie Crump team <laughs> uh, specifically to provide answers to some of the questions that were left unanswered by Ken Anderson, whose plan for the haunted house just didn't contain enough magic. Right. So Yale Gracie was a layout artist from the studio's animation department and an art director for Fantasia and was known by Walt to be a, quote, tinkerer. Um, so this kind of DIY spirit made him the kind of guy that Walt knew he wanted uh, to have on this haunted house because he would need big special effects to meet the expectations of the guests. And uh, Rolly Crump was assigned to help him solve these problems in the role of an assistant. Um, so Crump had also come from the animation department, though when he was first hired by Walt, he had been creating delicate mobiles and kinetic sculptures that caught Walt's attention. <laughs> these guys are so weird, and I love them so much. They're, I was going to say, they sound like huge nerds, and I mean that with all respect. Uh, so they got to work. And uh, Rolly Crump showed Walt some designs for his version, which included bizarre objects like coffin clocks, candlemen, talking chairs, man-eating plants, tiki-like busts, living gypsy wagons, and a mirror with a face. I don't hate any of that. Also, demon-faced chandeliers. I love that. So Walt accepted these ideas and now wanted to turn the project to being a museum of the weird, which would be a restaurant side to the now-named Haunted Mansion. Um, kind of like the Blue Bayou at Pirates of the Caribbean, where the restaurant is, like, literally in the building where the ride is. I have no point of reference for that, but that sounds um, right. Hold on. Actually, the Blue Bayou is fucking beautiful. That's the place I was trying to get a reservation at and uh, didn't. No dice. It's very hard to get a reservation there right now. This first picture is, the, the like, looking at the restaurant. Ooh. So, anyway, um... Walt wanted to to turn this into a museum of the weird that was kind of like a, a restaurant that went with the Haunted Mansion. And uh, the concept was never realized, but some of its aspects were implemented in the final attraction. And you have no idea how much I would give to see this. 
Um, it's also worth noting that the Tiki Room was also planned to be a restaurant, but Walt realized it would work better as a show. So that mm-hmm. comes up a lot. He gets ideas, but he's kind of got to massage them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so part of the magic behind their museum concept was the utilization of illusions. Guests would be able to see transparent ghosts and other apparitions. I'm utilizing the Pepper's Ghost technique used in theater since the early 1800s, and I will get more into that later. Okay. I was going to ask, so. Uh, Later, I will be giving you guys the grand tour of the Haunted Mansion. Oh, delightful. Yeah. Uh, So Crump and Gracie were eventually given an entire warehouse to house their developments, and one evening, they forgot to switch off the mechanics before leaving for the day. Uh, The cleaning crew was met with surprise, as Crump explained, uh, and I quote, Once we got a call from personnel saying that the janitors requested that we leave the lights on in there due to the creepiness of all of the audio animatronic ghosts and such. Fair. We complied, but put motion sensors in the room that would extinguish the lights and turn on all the ghost effects when triggered. (laughs) The next morning we came in and found all the ghost effects still running and a broom lying in the center of the floor. Personnel called and said that the janitors would not be back. (laughs) That's... That's a son of a bitch kind of move, and I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, they were having fun with it. Uh, they were coming up with ideas. At the end of the day, Yale and Rolly decided or developed over 80 different special effects for the Haunted Mansion, many of which they demonstrated either as standalone examples or implemented into a walking tour of the proposed Haunted Mansion, uh, which was installed at Walt Disney Studios in Burbank. Uh, the ideas ranged from silly to serious, including plans for effects for wild animal lunges, flaming heads, and tilted rooms. Ooh. Uh, Many of these early ideas were used in the Haunted Mansion, such as a ghostly organ, screams through multiple speakers, projected shadow effects, and a hull of mirror ghost. Hall of mirrors. Multiple mirrors. No, thank you. Unfortunately, the project stalled again. Or still, I guess. As by the first few years of the 1960s, Walt Disney had his sights set on the New York World's Fair, which Uh. was... An opportunity to show all of the things that um, Walt Disney's design and engineering company, WED, could do while raising funds and building some new attractions for Disneyland in the process. God, remember when World Fairs were... I don't remember when World Fairs were a thing, but World Fairs used to be like a thing. So... When the the World's Fair came up, they agreed, Disney agreed to do something for Ford. So they were working on that. And then he agreed to another project. And then I believe another one. And then UNICEF was like, hey, we we would like something too. And that project <laughs> became It's a Small World. They did all of the oh, projects God. in like a year. Um, it was fucking nuts. Like, no one thought they could. They probably shouldn't have. It was... It was a lot. No, I'm sure there were some, like, just bad labor practices happening there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, with the compressed timeline and very ambitious projects, all of the Imagineers were focused on that. And, uh, um, boop, boop, boop. Oh, yes. And the last thing that was worked on before the World's Fair for the Haunted Mansion was the construction of the exterior facade in what would become New Orleans Square in 1962, where it would sit for seven years. Just empty? Just empty. Like, they had the house. The house was there. But, yeah, it was just it was just there. I mean, it looks pretty cool from the outside, yeah. as far it as I know. It looks dope from the outside. So, like, it's not an eyesore or anything. It's just, like, people were wondering, like, what is this going to be? And they did have a plaque out front after a while to kind of, like, explain it. Inexplicably, I don't have the text, but there are spoilers in it. Um, so <laughs> they did, like, try to address it and, like, get people hyped for it. But the truth was, they didn't really know what they were doing yet. Yeah. So once everyone was done with the World's Fair, uh, New Orleans Square again became a priority, and uh, two more legends of Imagineering were set to work on both Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion. And there we get Claude Coates, who was an accomplished designer and the art director for Pirates, and he had incredible success with the atmosphere and sets for Pirates of the Caribbean and believed that the Haunted Mansion could be a very powerful, haunting, effects-laden spectacle. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And however, Mark Davis, who was one of Disney's nine old men, as I mentioned, and the artist responsible for most of the jokes and characters that were in Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, felt that the Haunted Mansion would succeed better as something spooky rather than scary. A little more character-driven. Yeah. Uh, In fact, the attraction as it exists today has those two sections. There's definitely like a scary, 
mysterious introduction and then just jokes and silliness on the back half of the ride. Yeah, so you kind of got to set the scene, bring in the atmosphere, and then you can kind of have fun with it. Yeah. Are there, like, jump scares? Or I guess you said we're going to have a tour later. We're going to do a tour. Um, But no, there's not really jump scares. Um, I guess it depends on how jumpy you are. Fair. So if you're like a Sadie, yes. (laughs) Burn. That's an inside joke. All right. So the Haunted Mansion was well on its way to being completed when the unthinkable happened. Uh, Walt Disney passed away in 1966. Oh, that is sad. So he never got to see the Haunted Mansion. He never got to see the Haunted Mansion. He never got to see Disney World. Um, So further plans for the mansion were put on hold, and the Haunted Mansion team was left with one giant question. They still didn't know if they should continue with the plans to make the attraction appear more serious or silly. No one ever went to Walt and said, just make a decision, please. I think he wanted both, but it was the balance of the two. Right. And you couldn't, he just couldn't quite communicate that. Yeah, it's hard to nail down. That's, I mean, that's fair. So after Disney's death, the project evolved significantly. The Museum of the Weird Restaurant was abandoned, and the Imagineers objected to a walkthrough attraction because it had a low capacity. Um, And they went so far as to suggest building two identical attractions to accommodate twice as many guests. A solution appeared with the development of the Omnimover system for Adventure Through Inner Space, which I believe was one of the uh, World's Fair attractions. Okay. Um, And the Omnimover system, I'll explain in a minute. So they renamed them Doom Buggies, and the system's continuous chain of semi-enclosed vehicles offered high capacity. The cars could be set to rotate in any direction at any point, allowing the Imagineers to control what the guests saw and heard. And because each car held from one to three people, it was a convenient way to divide guests into smaller groups. A better fit with the story of people wandering alone through a haunted house. And also, the Omnimover system moves continuously, without stopping. Right. So, despite the battle between silly and spooky, finally, the ride took shape under Coates and Davis, using many of the ideas and illusions that Crump and Gracie had developed. The story was to be that the mansion, owned in later lore by a a man named Master Gracie, was a retirement home for spirits, containing 999 happy haunts with room for one more. Hmm. So they had a story. And the last problem that the Imagineers had to face um, was that they went from a guided tour to shuttling guests through on an automated vehicle. So how would the guests know what was going on? I'm assuming a narrator of some sort. Ah, yes. Uh, Disney legend Buddy Baker, uh, who worked as the music director for the company at the time, collaborated with lyricist Francis uh, Xavier Atencio to work on the music behind the mansion. And one of my favorite fun facts about uh, Xavier Atencio is that he was an animator who worked on stuff like Winnie the Pooh before they were like, you're going to write the script and song for Pirates of the Caribbean. And he was like, "Uh, okay. That's not, I imagine, what he thought was in his wheelhouse. No, but he fucking smashed it. (laughs) Some people are just blessed by God. Uh, Yeah. The attraction also needed a script, and Atencio and Baker quickly realized that there were elements of this attraction that needed to be explained as the writers are guided through different rooms. And this is where the character of the ghost host comes in. Um, The disembodied voice provides commentary on what's happening in the mansion before leaving you to enjoy the sights. So, when the gates finally opened (laughs) to the public on August 9th, 1969, the public response was overwhelming. We were... We hadn't traveled to the moon when he started, and we did travel to the moon by the time this ride got done. The response was overwhelming to the point that just one week after the mansion opened, Disneyland set an attendance record of 82,000 patrons, which is a big number for that I was going to say, I imagine that record has been smashed a million times over. Yeah. Uh, in the press releases about the Haunted Mansion's opening that were printed in newspapers across the country, the official date of the opening was repeatedly listed as August 12th, and the sneak preview that Disneyland held for local press took place on the 11th, with the midnight ride technically occurring on the 12th. Um, however, Disneyland itself currently claims August 9th as the Haunted Mansion's birthday, so what to believe? And most likely, the 12th was chosen as a safe target for the attraction to be open to the public and was advertised as such in the press. Right. Um, Though the public was probably ushered in starting on the 9th, immediately following this successful soft opening on the 7th and 8th. Now, if you're a true crime fan, and not necessarily a Disney fan, August 9th, 1969 might sound familiar. (gasps) Oh no. 
Oh, no. Do you have any guesses, Sarah? Definitely some Manson murders happening on that night. Yep. The day that the Haunted Mansion officially opened was the same day that the Manson family decided to pay Sharon Tate's house a visit. Woof. There's no connection, but, you know, it's The ghosts of the Haunted Mansion didn't drive Charlie Manson mad? Probably not. I think that was, um, acid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, life of being incarcerated during a time when, well, incarceration still isn't a kind of place. Anyway, so, here we are. The mansion is open, the wait is over, what the hell is actually in there? And I'm glad you asked. I have answers. <laughs> I bet you're gonna tell us. In the form of a full tour. Great. This is the part of my notes that actually took the longest. Of course. Well, I had to take basically war and peace and summarize it into the f- like size of a pamphlet. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you just compare the Haunted Mansion to war and peace? It's definitely more interesting. <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> no, it's just there's a lot in there to the point where I'm still learning things. Okay. Are you ready to go in the Haunted Mansion, Sarah? I am. Please take me on this journey with you. I'll also provide videos for people who, like, actually want to to see it. It's not hard. Um, YouTube is a beautiful place with a lot of people that have low-light HD cameras. (laughs) So, you be- and this is Disneyland-specific. We'll get into the other ones later. (laughs) Just in case anyone from the East Coast wants to jump up my ass. All right, so you begin by walking through a garden outside the mansion, and there's a small crypt on one wall that houses a few residents with names like Rust in Peace. (laughs) Um, There's also a pet cemetery out front and a horseless hearse as you near the front door. And once you're ushered into the foyer, the ghost host, voiced by Paul Fries of Ludwig von Drake and the original Pillsbury Doughboy fame, uh, greets you. Greets you with, When hinges creak in doorless chambers, and strange and frightening sounds echo through the halls. Whenever candlelights flicker, where the air is deathly still, that is the time when ghosts are present, practicing their tear with ghoulish delight. And then the doors in front of you open to reveal an octagonal room, I believe. I didn't actually count the sides last time I was in there. (laughs) Might be round. No, there's some flat edges. Anyway, you enter a room uh, with portraits on the walls above. And cast members, dressed like uh, maids and butlers, urge you to drag your bodies into the dead center of the room, and then the doors close. Are they supposed to be alive staff the cast members? or ghost yeah. staff? No, okay. I believe they're alive. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, you know, Californian teenagers dressed up in <laughs> old-timey maid costumes. Um, actually, they're very good about being in character. Oh, I'm, you, I, you would have to be, I imagine. Um, so once you're in the room with the doors closed, the ghost host points out the portraits of residents in their corruptible mortal states. Uh, and these portraits are above you on the walls. Um, and then the portraits begin to stretch, revealing more of the paintings. And the paintings depict macabre situations, such as a beautiful young woman holding a parasol, who is uh, shown to be balancing on a tightrope above an alligator, a middle-aged bearded man holding a document, and he is shown to be standing atop a barrel of dynamite in his underwear with a candle lighting the fuse. <laughs> A smiling elderly woman holding a rose is sitting on top of the tombstone of her late husband, George, who is depicted as a stone bust with an axe in his head. Yikes. (laughs) And the portrait of a confident-looking man in a bowler hat is shown to be sitting on the shoulders of a frightened man who sits on the shoulders of a third man who is waist-deep in quicksand. (laughs) Eventually, the ghost host reminds you that this chamber has no windows and no doors and offers you a challenge to find a way out. Of course, there's always his way. And then lightning strikes above you, and you can see a body swinging from a rope from the ceiling. Wow, that got dark real quick. (laughs) The lights go out, the sound of bones dropping to the floor plays, and a shriek, and then the lights are back up to reveal that a door has opened. So this definitely feels like kind of one of the more jump-scarier parts of the... Yeah, this is where Claude Coates got his way. Um, Yeah, I'd say the scream is probably one of like three jump scares and the room does stretch yeah how explain to me exactly how like the portraits stretch i'm i'm having a very hard time picturing this well the the room is actually an elevator that's taking you underground so okay you're moving down and as a result the way that the frames are built they're they're like telescoping okay so as the floor basically sinks there's, you know, the wall and stuff that gets bigger. Uh-huh. And then the t- 
telescoping portraits kind of open up to reveal more of the picture. So you'll see like someone's waist and then the direction it moves is like it reveals their feet and everything. Okay. So it's kind of like a perspective trick. Yeah. Um, And then like the the ceiling gets further away. So it's not like Mm -hmm. you're in a small room and then there's a fucking body hanging from it. Like there's a, a, like a dome almost. Okay. And that's where the body is hanging. And there's a scrim, which is like a thin piece of fabric that has a print on it that is solid until you shine a light on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like they do in theater. Like, um, Nutcracker is the one that comes to mind. But it's like a scene that they're projecting over it while they do work behind. Okay. Um, so, like, that scrim gets lit up and then you can see the body and then the light goes out so you can't see it anymore. So it's just there for a second. Okay. So, yeah, you've actually taken an elevator underground, and the actual ride is housed in a show building that is hidden behind the house. Okay. That tends to be kind of how it operates, right? Like, there's always, like, a front facade, and it kind of, or maybe not always, but frequently? For for a lot of things. Um, definitely Pirates in the Haunted Mansion and uh, Splash Mountain. Fantasyland, I think, does it a little bit less. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, generally, like, you're not in the actual building. Um, that you're looking at because it would be yeah. a nightmare. I've seen like videos or like little clips of like they have like the certain color paint that like they will paint their building so they yeah. kind of disappear into the background. It's it's just this like green. Yeah. Uh, so after you exit the stretching room, you walk down a hallway with more paintings that change into sinister forms like a woman who turns into a Medusa and a man on horseback who turns into a headless rider. Which it's projections and, okay. and whatnot. I say I was picturing those like you get those little cheap L- dollar store frames that ones. have like yeah same lenticular. Vibe. That's the thing, yeah. Um, and then you walk past the bust of a man and a woman who seem to turn and follow you as you pass by. Spooky. I like it. Well, this effect is nothing more than an optical illusion involving your brain's perception of light. Oh, that's cool. Uh, so when you look at the statues closely, you'll notice that they're actually negative impressions on the wall as opposed to positive objects coming towards you. And your brain can't interpret the movement of the light on the object shapes in a manner that would typically, like it typically would with a normal dimensional object. It kind of skims over it rather than actually like perceiving it for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So your brain's decoding works in reverse, convincing you that the light is moving because the object is moving when in truth, it's just that the light is moving on the concave um, space. Very cool. And Yale Gracie found that out when he was walking by a negative of a bust he was working on. <laughs> that's cool that they, like, that's how they, like, you could so easily just make, like, some sort of animatronic bust on some sort of stand that, like, actually does physically turn. Yeah. But they kind of went a little more low-tech with it. That's cool. Well, that, that was Gracie's thing, practical effects mm-hmm. and illusions. Uh, he used to have a membership at the, what is it called, the Magic Castle in Los Angeles. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, so finally, because you're still walking, you're not technically on the ride oh, yet. Oh, you're not even on the ride yet. Uh, so finally, you enter a spooky, misty kind of void where a continuously moving conveyor belt of doom buggies passes by, and you have the challenge of hopping into one and settling in before you start to ascend the staircase while the ghost host lowers the safety bar and reminds you that flash pictures aren't allowed because spirits are frightfully sensitive to bright lights. And it ruins some of the effects. That feels stressful to me. I mean, I can't imagine they're moving that fast, but... They're not moving super fast, but it can be... Um, it has kind of the same level of tense as, like, going through airport security. <laughs> but it just kind of gets you in the mood. Yeah. Gets your heart racing just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. The adrenaline's there. Uh, just in time for you to be carried down a long hallway featuring a moving suit of armor, an endless hallway with a floating candelabra... Uh, yelling voices, doors that breathe, knobs that are rattling, and a coffin on display with a skeletal hand demanding to be let out. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the dopest purple demon-eyed wallpaper you've ever uh, seen. I am familiar with said wallpaper. Um, it is based on Rolly Crump's design for demon-faced chandeliers. I I thought, I was wondering if there's a connection. I was like, that sounds a lot like Emily's tattoo. Yeah. Um, and at the end, you pass a clock with a 13 instead of a 12 and hands that are spinning out of control with a demon claw shadow passing in front of it. God, it's so cool. It's so cool, Sarah. Um, and then you're in Leota's room. And Sarah, I think I think Leota and you have some stuff in common, just <laughs> vibe-wise. 
Um, so in Leona's I'm going to take this as a compliment. It is. She's, she's cool. Um, a woman's voice is summoning spirits while musical instruments fly around. And unfortunately for her, Leota is just a blue illuminated head in a ball floating forever above her seance table. That sounds exactly like me. Um, in the original incarnation of the seance circle, Leota's head was a static form made out of a neutral colored substance encased in a glass ball sitting on a bronze base. With the lights dimmed, a speaking face, uh, performed by Imagineer Leota Toombs, her legit fucking last name. Love it. Everybody involved in this ride has the coolest fucking name. Right. So the her performance was projected onto the neutral face on a uh, via a 16mm film loop. And the voice of Leota is performed by Eleanor Audley, who might sound familiar because she was a very popular Disney vocal talent. Uh, performing a lot of villains such as Maleficent and Lady Tremaine from Cinderella. Ooh. Also, her last name was Oddly. Yeah. I love it. In later years, through science and Imagineer's ingenuity, the technology was developed to allow Leota's crystal ball to float and move around while still maintaining the projection. Neat. And another cool fact, in the um, Haunted Mansion holiday and a couple updates, Leota's performance is actually re-performed by Leota's daughter, Kim, who is also an Imagineer. Nice. So as you leave the seance, the host informs you that the ghosts are responding to your sympathetic vibrations, and you glide into a whole-ass ballroom, complete with a hearse that's crashed through the wall and ghosts pouring out of it, a birthday cake and a birthday girl blowing out the candles, various guests, dudes hanging from the chandelier, paintings coming to life and shooting at each other. <laughs> Couples are ballroom dancing and a pianist is pounding away at the actual pipe organ from 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And the best part, all these bitches are see-through, like ghosts. Oh, cool. And how is that? How did they get a full ballroom of apparitions? Magic. The sort real of. ghosts. Yes. It's actually the illusion we talked about earlier called Pepper's Ghost. Right. So in the 1800s, a dude named John Henry Pepper came up with the idea for an optical illusion. I don't know how people think of these things. (laughs) Um, To put it in terms as simply as I can, when you see the ghost, you are actually seeing the reflections of animatronics that are set up in the completely black rooms above and below the balcony you're on. And they're selectively lit and reflected in a giant pane of glass that covers the entire ballroom. That's intense. And the ballroom is furnished, so, like, all of the furniture and stuff is is actually there in the room, but they have, like, black boxes and models of the stuff set up in the black room above and below, so they're sitting on it correctly. And they're all dressed in, um, like, pastel colors and stuff, so it shows up a little uh-huh. bit better. And in Disneyland, you'll notice a big-ass spider web hanging in front of the glass, and this is actually to hide a crack in the glass reportedly caused by a kid with a slingshot. <laughs> Because the pain is too big and too expensive to replace. Interesting. At least for that. Yeah. Yeah, there are some times with Disney attractions where they go a little too big and then something breaks and they're like, ah, shit. Well, shit. Because <laughs> there's that and then on Expedition Everest in Animal Kingdom, the Yeti animatronic, which is fucking huge, stopped working right. And it sits on this concrete pillar that's surrounded by this full-ass mountain <laughs> And they, like, couldn't get it out to work on it without taking apart the entire ride. Oh, my God. So they set it to a different, like, setting with less movement and threw a strobe light on it. And I think they're fixing it right now. But (laughs) just sometimes you got to plan for that. So, yeah, it's all a big illusion. You're just looking at reflections of things that are actually above and below you. It's very cool. above, so below? Yes. Uh, So now you're on to the attic because that's how mansions are built. Yeah. And the attic has gone through the most changes over the years. So when the original Haunted Mansion opened, it featured a bride with a red beating heart that could be heard through the room, um, appearing to the left of your buggy approximately halfway through the room. And for a few days, she had a suitor, the Hatbox Ghost, who appeared just to the right of the exit. And the figure was removed a few days after opening because I guess it didn't work as expected. Um, And the bride was moved to where he originally stood. And there were also pop-up... Uh, or blast ghosts that were hidden in the room in old trunks, boxes, and hat boxes. So those are technically jump scares. It's literally just a head that would shoot up on a jet of air and then fall back. (laughs) 
Uh, so in 1995, the attic was altered, adding a new ghostly pianist, which is a great word, um, and the pop-ups, shrieks, and groans were changed to haunting I do's, and a new bride stood in place of the hatbox ghost, and she had an actual face and hair, because the original one was really weird looking. Like, it's hard to describe. Mm-hmm. In 1996, at Disney World, the bride was given a new face and new hair, and the pop-ups were redressed in tuxedos and top hats. Um, in addition, the trunks that they leapt out of were removed, so now they appeared to be jumping from behind piles of junk. Disney World did not get the shadowy pianist. I don't know, maybe they just weren't special enough. It is Florida. Yeah. Uh, and then in 2006, the attic was reworked again. The bride was given a name, Constance Hatchaway, and a new storyline. And this incarnation of the bride is known as the Black Widow Bride. Ooh. I like her already. She's great. Uh, as she is said to have killed several of her husbands for their wealth. Girl boss. <laughs> and so the headless groom theme was put throughout the attic with the inclusion of changing portraits in which the groom's heads disappear from their bodies. <laughs> uh, the bride was moved back to the left side of the vehicles just as she had been in 1969. However, she remained at the back corner of the attic rather than in the middle. She is my favorite. <laughs> she sounds great. She's so creepy. Big influence on my senior project for Ooh, uh, film school. I, I can see it. Oh, yeah. And in 2015, an uh, Imagineer whose name I can't remember. I, I think thought it was last, great, though. I think his last name is Joseph. Anyway, he built the Hatbox Ghost in his garage and figured out the effect. So in 2015, they could bring the Hatbox Ghost back to Disneyland. Oh, yay. Uh, and he was placed on the balcony just as you leave. Um, and he is like a hunched figure in a top hat with a cane holding a hat box. And every once in a while, his head will vanish from his body and appear in the hat box. Spooky. Um, so from there, you descend into the graveyard where there's a fucking party happening. <laughs> as, it should, as there should be. Yeah. Graveyards and you actually, great. you exit the uh, attic and you kind of look over the graveyard for a second. And there are a bunch of, like, ghosts, like, flying into the air, um, which is an effect called the Magic Lantern. And this is a stage effect that's been in use since 1798. Wow. Yes. Um, it was made famous by a Belgian magician. And it, during his shows, he would project ghosts onto gauze, which was thin enough to see through and masked by smoke. And Ken Anderson actually planned to use this effect back in the earliest days in, like, 1957. Mm -hmm. So you see these ghosts, like, flying into the air, and then you turn around backwards as you descend down, like, a slope. And there is a fan theory that that's uh, you, the living person, um, falling to your death and joining the ghosts, thus oh. becoming the thousandth spirit. That's pretty spooky. Uh, a little grim. I like it. <laughs> That's the kind of definitely the kind of energy I want in Disneyland. It hasn't been confirmed, but it's a it's a theory. So yeah, you you enter the graveyard where blue animatronic ghosts dressed in transparent vinyl and lit with black lights play in a band, sing opera, enjoy some time on a teeter totter for some reason, <laughs> have tea, and otherwise sing along to Xavier Tensio's absolute fucking banger, Grim Grinning Ghosts. <laughs> Uh, this is also where the sole living characters in the whole mansion are that aren't you. As you round the corner, you pass a terrified caretaker and his cowering dog who probably wish they hadn't taken the position. <laughs> and there's also the matter of the singing busts, my collective second favorite group of characters. These busts are singing statues led by vocalist Thurl Ravenscroft, famous for The Grinch That Stole Christmas and being the voice of Tony the Tiger. Interesting career. Yeah, they are projected on the faces of static bust props, kind of like Leota was. Okay. And these boys are named Rolo Rumpkin, <laughs> Uncle Theodore, Cousin Al, and Ned Nub. Oh, and Phineas Pock, of course. Of course. Like I said, I love these guys. We're almost out of the, of the mansion. Actually, you are out of the mansion, but... You're in the graveyard now. Yes. Uh, but wait. The There's more. Comes, yes. The host comes back to tell you to look out for one last thing. Hitchhiking ghosts. <laughs> is the host i should have clarified this earlier is the host like a character or an animatronic or is it just like a voice a disembodied it's just voice? a voice but okay. um given the the narration at the beginning uh when you're in the stretching room and he says there's always my way in terms of finding a way out mm. and you see the body hanging from the ceiling it's implied that that is the ghost host. right that makes sense 
There's also a portrait in the uh, hallway with the doors that people say is the the host. There's a lot of lore. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, you gotta look out for hitchhiking ghosts. And as you enter a crypt that leads to the exit, you pass three gentlemen. Uh, There's Gus, a short figure whose most prominent features are his long beard and ball and chain around his ankle. Uh, Ezra, a tall phantom that wears a bowler hat and has the same face mold as the hatbox ghost. And Phineas, a plump hunchback ghost who wears a top hat and carries a carpet bag. (laughs) So these guys are standing, thumbs out, looking for a ride. And while you're on your way to the unloading zone, you pass by three mirrors and find that they have, in fact, found a way to come with you. (gasps) Ooh, spooky. In reality, it's a two-way mirror. And due to the dim lighting in the crypt, you see yourself reflected in the glass, but you also see illuminated animatronics moving behind the glass as they follow a track that's synced with the doom buggies. Interesting. Okay, cool. Which all makes sense, but try telling that to five-year-old Emily, who was fully traumatized by that. <laughs> uh, so the time has come to disembark from your still-moving buggy and have that little rush of airport security fear, and you head up and out of the crypt to the outside world. And as you do so, you are treated to the final eerie effect of a miniaturized ghostly woman with flowing robes about two feet tall telling you to hurry back and reminding you to be sure to bring your death death certificate if you decide to join us (laughs) and make final arrangements now. They have been dying to have you. Of course. You can't not leave with a pun like that. Uh, The character is also a projection onto a blank face and also played by Leota Tombs, earning her the name Little Leota. Yeah. And that's, you rode the Haunted Mansion, the original one. Does does she look little? Or is it just like, okay. No. Yeah, there's like a ledge and she's standing on top of it. So there's, it's not like a visual effect or anything to make her look big. She's just little. Okay. I don't know why they made that choice. I wasn't able to find. Well, I I probably could if I put more time into it, but okay. That sounds quite delightful. I'm sure I would enjoy that quite a bit. So that's the Disneyland version, and there are other. There's a version of the ride in every Disney resort in the world, and by resort I mean collection of theme parks. So like mm-hmm. in Anaheim, it's Disneyland and California Adventure. In Florida, it's <sighs> Magic Kingdom. Animal Kingdom, Hollywood Studios. I feel like I'm forgetting something. So basically, wherever there is a Disney theme park or group of theme parks. Yeah, there's a Haunted Mansion or something like it. Right. So in Disney World, there's a lot of similarities um, between the one in Disneyland and this because this version opened in 1971 with the park. And why would you change so much after finally figuring it out? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, During the production and assembly of the props and animatronics for Disneyland, uh, they made duplicates of everything for Disney World. Oh, nice. I was going to ask if that was because they were still planning to do kind of like the two part or two different rides. But Uh, yeah, they I guess if you were already in the planning stages and you knew you were going to do it, it'd just be. Yeah. Yeah. Disney World was already underway um, when they finally figured it out. Okay, cool. But because the of the ample space in Disney World, the attraction show building is way larger. And the facade is also more in like an American Gothic style to match with its home in Liberty Square instead of okay. New Orleans mm-hmm. Square. Neither of which are a square. <laughs> um, and it's also significantly more run down than the Californian version, because I guess Walt wasn't there to say no, so... Mm. Um, so it was decided that the Florida version would be slightly longer and more elaborate, featuring a... Seen with a library stocked with ghost stories and floating books, staring marble busts of ghost riders, a music room where the invisible pianist can be seen, an endless staircase room inspired by M.C. Escher. And Paul Fries also recorded additional dialogue to accompany the scenes. Um, It's also worth noting that the stretching room in this one is just an illusion because you don't have to take an elevator. Oh, okay. Um, And then Tokyo is exactly the same as Magic Kingdom. Exactly. Like, they didn't change anything. (laughs) Even, like, the design of the building is the same? Nothing. It's exactly the same. Uh, Except it's in Fantasyland for God only knows why. Um, And that opened in 1983. And Tokyo is just an exact copy of a lot of things because that's what the uh, Japanese company that was working with Disney wanted. Okay. So basically, it's uh, some company in Japan that's, like, leasing the park from Disney. It's a weird situation. Um, So Paris was the first place where big changes needed to be made, which is attributed, I'm not kidding, they mentioned this in Behind the Attraction, it's attributed to the French being much more comfortable with death and harder to scare. I mean, 
Have you seen the catacombs? <laughs> no, that's actually one of the examples that they brought up in Behind the Attraction for, like, why the French are more difficult to unsettle. Yeah. They just pile all their skeletons together. Yeah. And then take tourists. Uh, so this change resulted in Phantom Manor. Stop number two on Emily's bucket list after the catacombs. Uh, so the ride is a rundown, the ride building is a rundown Old West style manor perched on a hill overlooking Frontierland. Hmm. The story is as follows, heavily abridged, but you can read the whole thing on the Phantom Manor Wikipedia page. Highly recommend it. I'd watch this movie, no hesitation. So the story is that Melanie Ravenswood, the daughter of Henry, a Western settler who struck gold in Big Thunder Mountain and founded the Big Thunder Mining Company and the town of Thunder Mesa, she was a nice young lady, except her father did everything he could to stop his one and only daughter from marrying by orchestrating accidents that killed her first four suitors. Sawyer Bottom was sawed in half by a saw blade. Captain Rowan D. Falls fell off a waterfall. Ignatius Iggy Knight was blown up by dynamite. <laughs> and Barry Claude was mauled to death by a bear. <laughs> I hadn't said the names out loud. Oh my gosh. But it's, it's very good. So even though four of Melanie's suitors were dead, Henry's attempts became useless um, in the midst of her becoming engaged to a train engineer named Jake. And then a terrible earthquake came and killed him and his wife in 1860. Aww. So on Melanie's wedding day, a mysterious phantom appeared in the house. And unbeknownst to anyone, this was the spirit of Henry himself seeking vengeance on Jake for his defiance. Um, and while Melanie was preparing in her room, Henry lured Jake up to the attic where he hung him by the neck from the rafters. Wow. So in the now times, when you're in the house, you're treated to many of the same scenes, like the hallway, the ballroom, and the attic, both the added flair of a Vincent Price-esque skeleton man laughing maniacally and a sad bride <laughs> looking on. <laughs> Very French. Very sophisticated. Your final stop is not a graveyard, but the haunted town of Thunder Mesa, inhabited by all sorts of Western ghosts. Fun. I like the it's American twist. Very cool. Well, it's in Frontierland, so. There's also a bit, like, where you're coming out of the attic and you go through, like, kind of a graveyard, but it's also, like, all fucked up from the earthquake and there's just coffins with, like, skeletons falling out and, like, reaching towards you. Big catacombs energy. I can see it. Huge catacombs energy. Um, so this leaves us with Hong Kong, where they also need to do a full overhaul because of cultural differences. Mm -hmm. The result was something completely different with no ghosts and Albert, a cute monkey who opens a magic music box that animates uh, the entire house owned by an eccentric Victorian era explorer named Lord Henry Mystic. Uh, Mystic Manor is also very cool. It's a wild detour. Yeah. Uh, Danny Elfman did the music. It's oh, fun. <laughs> it's cute as shit. So, what else? For three months a year, Jack Skellington and his friends deck the halls in California and Tokyo and treat everyone to a very scary Christmas. It's cute. It's fun. I like the original. What are you Brand do? synergy. Yeah. It's, I've, I've done it um, two trips in a row now, and it's, it's fine. I like the original. You know? I imagine, yeah, if you kind of got that nostalgia for the original, it's less fun to... Well, they, they take the bride out to, to redo the attic scene, and the caretaker is replaced by Jack and Zero. I do like in the ballroom, they do a different real gingerbread house every year. Oh. Sometimes it's animated. That's cool. Is it like, sh or is it like formed like the Haunted Mansion? Uh, sometimes. Okay. I think one year is like a house of cards for the... The 60th, 60th anniversary, they did do, like, a giant haunted mansion. They also blast you with, like, the best gingerbread smell when you get into the of ballroom course. scene. So, before we get out, we're going to do some quick trivia. Oh, boy. Oh, was I supposed to be taking notes? Is this, like, a pop quiz? Or Oh, no, I'm not quizzing you. This is just, like, oh. fun facts. Thank God. <laughs> Stuff that didn't fit in other places. <laughs> um, so, according to an official Disneyland press release from 69, nice, uh, the Haunted Mansion cost $7 million to develop and build, which translates to $45 million in today dollars. Pennies. <laughs> Pennies for Disney. Um, both the Disneyland and Disney World versions have a small pet cemetery located outside the mansion. And in Walt Disney World, one can see a tombstone for J. Thaddeus Toad, the hero of the park's attraction, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, which actually <laughs> doesn't exist in Disney World anymore. Interesting. In the ballroom, the dancers all have the women leading because the Imagineers somehow forgot to factor in that they would be reflected and thus moving backwards. 
feminism. Like usually when you would spin in ballroom dancing, like the, yeah. the guy will lead. But in this case, the, the woman is the one like it's a visual thing. Um, all right. There was a short time in the 80s when a live human was in the suit of armor at the beginning of the ride, but it wasn't sustainable. And the problem came when the suit of armor was given a remote, which all of the cast members carry, that has the ability to shut off the ride system. Um, they usually use this to help like people with disabilities, elderly, mm-hmm. uh, like get on the because you can stop the, the cars from moving. Oh, OK. It does stop the entire It's not ride a perpetual motion machine, yeah. Yeah, um, but it shuts off the ride system so people can get on. Um, but the suit of armor would shut the ride off for anything from people trying to hit them or people spitting on them. Or- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair. Yeah. I wouldn't want to deal with that shit either. Yeah, they stopped doing that. Although you'd think you would want, like, just let those asshole kids keep going. <laughs> but So, um, Yale Gracie was... Well, I guess he still is the victim of an unsolved murder. What? On September 5th, 1983, Gracie was shot and killed in Los Angeles by a burglar. Uh, his wife was injured in the attack. Uh, Gracie and his wife Beverly were staying at their cabana at the Bel Air Bay Club on Pacific Coast Highway in the Palisades neighborhood of Los Angeles. The shooting was reported at 2.30 a.m. by another club member. A police spokesman indicated that Gracie and his wife were both asleep when an unknown intruder entered and shot them both, then fled to the beach. A motive was not determined, and there are no suspects. That's so eerie. Right? Um, And that's why the ghost host is often called Master Gracie. That's why he was Master Gracie in the movie, um, just kind of as a, a tribute. Yeah, that's sad. Well, and now here's something cute to offset what I just said. Thank God. Uh, when Donny Osmond was 12, he was filming a special in Disneyland with his brothers and Kurt Russell. So that's cute. Um, during the shoot, he'd still have to go to school, and the room they used was a tiny room in the Haunted Mansion. Oh. Uh, so let us close with a quote from Donny. Uh, only- Celebrity cameos and ghosts. <laughs> As you oh, do. Fucking love Donny Osmond. So I was only 12 years old at the time and obviously still in school. There was a room on the second floor of the Haunted Mansion in a small corner that was not being used for the ride. This is where I had school with my teacher during filming. I'm pretty sure that the I'm the only person that can claim the Haunted Mansion was my schoolhouse, and it's still <laughs> and that's why it's still my favorite ride in the Magic Kingdom. That's so sweet. That's eleven pages of notes on the Haunted Mansion. Yeah, honestly, not as long as an episode as I was anticipating. Yeah, I guess half a page was taken up by the links for all of my sources. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any questions? No. You covered it very well. That was a very good episode. Good. My mouth is so dry. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, go watch the, the video. Like, it's amazing that it took. Yeah, I might have to. It took 20 years to get to this point, but I think it wouldn't have ended up the way it had if it hadn't taken that long because. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to take 20 years to do something, do it right. Well, there's so many pieces of all of the people that worked on it. Like, you have stuff from Ken Anderson, who was the first person to, like, really get in there, and then just Rolly Crump's weird shit, <laughs> and Gracie, like, doing his little magic tricks and stuff, and then, obviously, the Claude Coates, like, this is very scary bit, and Mark Davis's goofs, so. Yeah. It's probably good that it took that long. <laughs> yes, it was meant to be. Um, all right, guys. If you want to tell me that the Disney World version is better than the Disneyland version, we're on Twitter uh, at Afternoonified. I, I thought you were going to end that with, you can fuck off. Well, no, I just figure if um, you're going to be a whiny baby, Twitter is probably the place to do it. Fair. We're also on Instagram at Afternoonified, getafternoonified.com. Uh, you can buy merch. You can donate if you so wish. Um, that's where we also keep old episodes. <sighs> uh, remember to rate, subscribe, review, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't have a joke. Yeah, thanks for hanging in there. I know, like an hour and a half podcast about a theme park ride didn't seem possible. I, I feel like our listener base will appreciate it. All right, guys, goodbye. Goodbye. We love you.
Make final arrangements now. We've been dying to have you. <laughs> Just kidding, it's actually me, Avalon, the host of Boohaha, which is a thing that I do. A podcast, if you will, that happens some weeks, not all. Don't wait up, it's fine, we'll call you. Shut up. Anyway, it's about ghosts and tangents. Mostly tangents, if I'm being entirely honest. So join me each and every week-ish as I gather the funniest people I know to a campfire that I build in my living room and then regale them with spooky tales of boogans and googas. Oh, also, it's a comedy podcast, if that wasn't clear from the vibe, you know. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is As Above, So Below. <laughs>